Hi friends. As we have been studying the Sermon on the Mount, or the King's Speech as I call it because it's all about the Kingdom of God, one of the things that would come into the mind of the people who heard this, and it should probably come into ours as well, is what is the relation between this Jesus and his new kingdom that he's bringing and the rest of what God has revealed in the scriptures? To put it more in an up-to-date question, what is our relationship to the scriptures now, especially regarding the Old Testament? Well, we come to a passage where Jesus tells us something very important, actually three crucially important things about the scripture. It's in Matthew 5, 17 through 20. And Jesus writes this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray for a second. Father, I pray that you would enlighten my thoughts and my teaching, that you would let these be your words to your people, that you would give us ears to understand, that you would give us hearts that apply this. Thank you, Father. Amen. Now, in this great passage, I see at least three things that Jesus is bringing out to us that are, like I said, vitally important to us today about the scriptures and us and him. And the first of these I put like this, that the truth of the scripture is eternal. The truth of the scripture is eternal. It doesn't pass away. Jesus uses a conventional phrase of their time until heaven and earth pass away. Our equivalent today might be, you know, until hell freezes over until heaven and earth pass away, symbolizing the whole Old Testament. Until heaven and earth pass away, the law of the prophets will never pass away. In fact, not even, as the King James puts it, a dot or a tittle, a jot or a tittle. A jot referred to the smallest letter in the Hebrew language. It was actually about the size of a comma. A tittle isn't even a letter. It's just an ornamental part of a letter. Like in some font, you might see a... a an ornamental horn or flourish or something. Jesus is, is using the strongest possible words to tell us that his law, the word of God, including the Old Testament, will never pass away. They won't pass away unless heaven and earth pass away. They are as permanent as the sea and sky. In this view of Jesus, of the ongoing authority of scripture, is found on every page of the Gospels. Jesus constantly quotes scripture in every area, applies it in every life situation. His deepest instinct is to view himself and all reality in light of the truth of the scriptures. Even at his darkest moment, even at the cross, he quotes scripture. He faces every joy, every conflict, every temptation by quoting scripture. Jesus viewed the scripture as authoritative in his life and for all reality. That's his view of scripture. I wonder, 
Is that our view of Scripture? Is that your view of Scripture? If you are a follower of Christ, do you have the same understanding of the Scripture that he did? And I mean by this, not just agreeing with him that it's the Word of God and eternal truth, but actually living like you believe that. I mean taking time to study the Scriptures, to search the Scriptures and let the Scriptures search you. You see, Christianity is not a dead religion, but a living relationship with God through Jesus. And the communication of this, of this relationship, is the Spirit of Christ speaking to us through the Scriptures. You can't have a relationship with someone without communication. We cannot have a relationship with God without a communicational aspect to that. You can hear some people say, well, I relate to God through, through nature. Well, that's fine, but it always reminds me of an analogy I heard. Say someone drove a Tesla into the church parking lot, and uh, I went out and studied it and admired it, even, maybe even popped the hood and examined the engine. Now, could I say that I have a relationship with Elon, Elon Musk, the, the founder of that company? Well, I might learn a couple things about Elon Musk, but unless there was a way to communicate, to listen, to talk to him, I couldn't really say I had a relationship with him, right? In the same way, nature reveals a lot about God. But for a relationship, we have the gifts of prayer and scripture. And here Jesus reminds us that the authority and purpose of scripture in this are as permanent as the sea and the sky. Now notice, there is an element of purpose in this until everything is accomplished. In other words, he doesn't just say that the scripture is true, but that it will come true. And that leads us to the next point, the point that keeps us from being Pharisees about the scripture. And that's this, that the point of the scripture is Jesus. So the authority of scripture is eternal. That's the first point. But now we also see that the point of the scripture is Jesus. Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, which is the law being a shorthand way of describing the whole Old Testament. I haven't come to abolish that, but to fulfill it. Now, what does he mean by this? Well, he could mean simply that I have come to obey every letter of the law. And it's true that he did that. He did obey the law. But the word fulfilled doesn't usually mean to obey. It goes much broader and deeper. It means that the whole point of scriptures, the whole point of the scripture finds its, its purpose and place in him and what he's come to do. Do you remember the story after the resurrection? There were a couple men on the road to Emmaus. They were believers of some kind in Jesus, and they were despondent uh, after his death. They said, we, we thought he might be the, the hope of Israel. In Jesus, they didn't recognize him yet, but then he, he rebuked them for being slow to understand. and says, starting with Moses, he, he explained the whole Old Testament and showed how it pointed to him and how the Messiah had to suffer and die and rise again. Now, that points out that every page of the Old Testament is pointing ahead to Jesus. All the laws, all the festivals, all the calendar events ultimately find significance in him. And understanding that the scriptures are fulfilled like this in Jesus keeps us from a wooden adherence to trying to keep the law as it's written in the Old Testament. You see, the rest of the New Testament makes it quite clear that we, after the cross, 
do not have to obey the Old Testament law. This was settled very definitively for us at the very first church council. It's recorded in Acts uh, 15 in Jerusalem. And Paul, uh, later on in the book of Galatians, even says the law was crucified on the tree with Jesus. All right, so how can Jesus claim that the law and the prophets will never pass away while Paul and the church, uh, within just a generation of his lifetime, say that the law is no longer a burden that we have to bear? Well, the answer comes from understanding, again, the purpose of the law. The law of the Old Testament is a perfect embodiment of God's holiness within the time and place of ancient Israel. As such, it pointed out what it would mean, what it would take to be able to dwell with a holy God, to please this God, to be able to stand before this God. And the trouble is that no one is able to keep the law except Jesus. So the law functions for us in at least two ways. It shows us what true human goodness is like, and it shows us that we're not that, that we don't measure up, and therefore that we need God's mercy and Christ's sacrifice in order to be with God at all. So does the law then have a continuing role in the life of the Christian? Does the Old Testament have a continuing role in our life, in the, in the life of a Christian, someone who comes after the cross, who has come to God through faith and not works, through the righteousness of Christ, some, and not some righteousness of our own? Yes, it does. And that's the third point, that the goal of the scripture is ongoing, and that goal is a new humanity in a perfect kingdom. The goal of scripture is a new humanity in a perfect kingdom, and that applies to the Old Testament as to the new. You see, we are not just saved from the punishment of sin, but from sin itself. This is what it means to be in the kingdom. Jesus says, unless your righteousness goes beyond the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I can't help but feel that the crowd, when they heard this, they, they might have gasped in, in disbelief. A righteousness that goes beyond that of the scribes and Pharisees? How is that possible? I mean, these are the guys who kept making, keeping the law their full-time job. They were the professionally righteous. The Pharisees would have long arguments about how many times the law would want you to wash your hands before each meal, how far you could walk in the Sabbath day. Jesus says later on in Matthew that they would tithe of their spices. Who, who tithes of their spices, right? What in the world could it mean then when Jesus says that unless our righteousness goes beyond the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, we will not have a place in his kingdom? Well, he means a righteousness of a completely different kind. Not a perfect illustration, but imagine a painter who grew up as an orphan and became enamored with the idea of, of the fatherhood that he missed. And so since he was a gifted painter, this came out in, in, in his painting. He painted scene after scene of a father with a child or with his children. And, and he strived more and more to, to make, it, make these perfect and get it right. And each year he did get better at it, and he became very well-renowned as a painter of these paternal scenes. And then one day, he becomes a father himself. And now he begins to learn what it means to live out all that before he had seen and, seen and painted externally. What previously had been an external work now becomes an inward reality. 
Not perfect, but in a similar way, the righteousness of the Pharisees was something external, something they did and tried to get better at doing it each year. It was through their own self-effort. Jesus compared them to whitewashed coffins. They looked clean on the outside, but inside were full of all kinds of nastiness. The righteousness Jesus brings is not just a righteousness of keeping the law externally better than the Pharisees. It's a righteousness that is a gift from him. And that, that gift is like a seed planted in soil, which begins to, to germinate and grow and eventually blossom. Now, Jesus will spend the rest of chapter 5 of Matthew illustrating that. For example, right after this, he talks about murder. The law says you must not commit murder. But Jesus internalizes and intensifies this. Even the anger that would bring murder must be removed. Again, right after that, the law forbids adultery. Jesus, again, intensifies and internalizes this. It's not just the outward act of adultery, but even lusting after someone in, in your heart, that must be removed. We must become those for whom anger at another or lust for, for another are simply not part of our nature. Now, again, it's easy to go wrong here, right? As if to view his words as a burden too heavy to bear. I must become this kind of person. We, on our own, cannot become righteous. That is true. And that's part of what Jesus is bringing out by internalizing and intensifying to show that we can't keep the commands. We need mercy. We need his sacrifice. We need Christ. But in Christ, the description of the righteous person here is also our destiny. We will become like him. We will be people of complete love, free from anger and lust and greed and selfishness and envy and pride and apathy and gossip or anything unclean. We will become perfectly moral beings. This is not a burden. It is a promise. This is the good news of the gospel. It's not just our sin penalty that's dealt with, but our sin problem. So what is the purpose of the law now for us Christians then? Well, kind of begin wrapping this up. I think it has at least three uh, threefold role. First, to remind us of the grace of salvation by reminding us that we don't measure up. It's easy to compare ourselves with others, to, to grade ourselves on the curve as we figure the curve out. And we figure, well, we're at least above average. But then we remember the commands of God, especially as explained by Jesus, and we remember it's all by grace. Second, the law and the commands point us to the promise of what will be. They are a prophecy, a picture of what God will make us. 1 John 3, 1 through 3, we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. This is our promise. This is our destiny, that we will be morally perfect like Jesus. We will be like Christ. Third, because of that, the law and the whole Old Testament can also help us grow in, in godliness as we take seriously this destiny as we seek to, to treasure it, to embrace it, to live it out more and more in the day-to-day, -day, not out of fear, 
not out of worry about getting it right, but out of love and wonder and gratitude. Now, we'll, we'll talk more about that next week, but let me just close with this story that somewhat illustrates that. It's a true story. Queen Victoria of England reigned for 63 years, from 1837 until her death in 1901. She was arguably the greatest monarch of her age, and she was an icon of, of virtue and steadfastness. But as a child, she was inconstant, somewhat lazy, would not give herself to her studies. All this time as she was growing up, it had been kept from, from her that she would be queen. They didn't want her to bear that burden. But in desperation, her tutor and her parents agreed to tell her. And she took in the words that she would one day sit on the throne and then, with childlike simplicity, she said, Then I will be good. And she was. That was the beginning of the change in her behavior. She saw her destiny, and it changed her present behavior. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not only because it points to him, but because through him, we can also be like him. We will one day perfectly fulfill the law because of him. We will be a perfect being of holiness and love. That is our destiny. That is the promise. Let us let that change our present choices. Thanks, and God bless.